welcome to episode 9 of Adult Music, your podcast about music for the mature mind. It's your co-host Russ here with Mike. On yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, that's you. And episode number 9, we've got a lot of great music to talk about this week. Yeah, by the way, I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, you, you keep saying music for the mature mind. Does that include us? Well, what's what we aspire to. Um, what, the, re well, the reason I thought that, you know, when I investigated the categories to put a podcast under, there's, depending on the service, and of course, I, or, or Apple Podcasts being the the sort of king of, yeah. of podcasts, and m most of the others have similar categories, but there's a broad music category, which includes everything music related, and there's a subcategory, and so we're slotted in music commentary I, 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 and I, I just feel i just feel like the fact that we're doing a podcast is just indicates that we've never grown up you know <laughs> that's just what, yeah that that's we, just the way i see it yeah, what is it talking about music is like yeah what was talking the about music is like dancing about architecture, architecture right yeah I, I don't really understand but if you don't that talk I, about I, it, I don't think it's true no i don't either, think so you know? it's hard to talk about it but Talking yeah. about music is like talking about architecture or talking yeah, yeah. about dance for that matter. That's what talk people about, do. You should at least talk about what other people might want to look at or listen to. Right. But anyway, in those categories, uh, I noticed uh, that there's uh, like five podcasts each week all about this uh, K-pop group. You know, what is it? I don't even know what it is. BTS or something. I've never listened to this. And I, yeah. I wondered, how how can you have five podcasts about one group being so popular? And what could they be talking about the music? Um, I really don't know. Uh, <laughs> I kind of think about there's a there's a whole like website where there was. I'm sure they probably still did uh, that talks about um who was it? John Taylor of Duran Duran. He was the bass player for Duran Duran. Right. And it's an entire website dedicated to his hairstyles. He did have over some- the, Over the years. Some <laughs> some really nice hair, as I remember back to junior high school or yeah. those days. Yeah. Yeah. He, they had some great suits too, those guys. They I did. Know. And makeup. Those, yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, anyway, they, they had the they had a good life. To each their own. But you know, we we're not going for the mass appeal. We sort of I guess would be considered a niche podcast. And so we don't care to get uh, a massive audience, but uh, we'd like to connect with, you know, those people out there who are interested in classical music and jazz music. Especially Although I want to say I, I think we should go the Benjamin Zander route. He's a conductor. I think he was he was Boston based. At least when I was there, he was there, and he um, he said that his ultimate goal as a as a a teacher and a conductor of classical music is to get uh, the entire world's population listening to classical music. And I thought that was a laudable goal, and I think that should be our goal too. We want to have the entire world listening to our podcast and telling them about good classical and jazz to listen to. I'll settle for one person from each country to start out with. And we're not doing bad. That, that would um, be impressive. Yes, of course, mm -hmm. uh, we've got some of our Japanese-based people listening to us. Uh, we've got a lot of European listeners, which I'm really happy about. We've got right. France, Italy, Norway, Romania, uh, Spain, Portugal, and uh, so that's uh, really promising. And uh, we've also, you know, 
gradually we're getting a few listeners in the U.S. on a state-by-state basis. We've got some South American listeners. We've got Uruguay now, and ah. we've got, uh, we had Venezuela a couple weeks back too. We've got uh, Central America. Uh, so, yeah, we're getting some international listeners. And, Is that the uh, whole world yet? Are we? Uh... No, no, we're on our way. We'll we'll gradually right. we'll gradually okay. get there. Just That's very cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you for listening. And uh, well, to start out, before we get into this week's music, I just want to uh, let our listeners know about a new feature that I thought of uh, implementing, and I did this week, and that is uh, playlists for all the music that we discuss in each episode. Now. I have been including in the episode notes each week uh, documentation of the albums and the record label, and then also links to streaming on Spotify and Apple Music, because I figure those are the two most uh, popular services people might be listening on if you'd like to check out the music on streaming. But as we mentioned on a previous podcast, uh, Mike and I have been using Deezer. And yeah. if you're not familiar with Deezer, uh, it's spelled D-E-E-Z-E-R. It's a music streaming That's service. Z-, Z for you Brits. Yes, Z. <laughs> uh, it's a service based in France. And I switched over to Deezer about two years ago from Apple Music. When I noticed Apple Music is fine for listening on your mobile device or small headphones. But when I played it through my main stereo system, I, I just felt it was missing something in sort of uh, spatial qualities and dynamics. And it is a compressed format. So I noticed that there was you know several other services out there, Deezer included. And I bought a streamer uh, network player for my main stereo system, and it had Deezer incorporated in it. And I thought, well, let me just uh, try this out. They had a free trial period, and I was really sold on it. It's uh, CD quality uh, FLAC files, and they have a really nice uh, classical and jazz catalog, which mm. I appreciated. And then and I do too. Yeah, and Mike appreciates too. And we've been that's how we share uh, the upcoming releases with each other before we discuss them. And so I thought, although podcasts themselves are not implemented in all countries through Deezer, as we we are on Deezer with our podcast, but you can't listen to it in Japan where we're based, so I can't find (laughs) ourselves on there, which is very strange. However, uh, the playlists for our podcasts are up there. So if there's anyone listening on Deezer, I know we have a few podcast listeners on Deezer, although I don't have the information as to where they're from. But anyone who would like to have a one easy link, if you look in the notes for each episode, I have a link to the Deezer podcast, and you click on that, it'll take you to the Deezer page. You can get all the the music for each episode that's available on streaming in one click in the playlist there. Or if you're on Deezer, just search for us uh, under Adult Music Podcast and you'll find the playlist. And if you're interested, if you haven't tried Deezer, like Spotify or other streaming services, they have three levels. They have a free level that's ultra uh, compressed. I believe it's uh, 128 uh, kilobytes per minute. There's a premium, which is compressed to about the same level as Apple Music. And there's a hi-fi level, which is a CD quality. And whichever you try, you can get one month for free. Uh, mm. So it's a pretty good deal. And I, I, I really like their service. And then you can find uh, all of the tunes for each podcast right there in one click. So if that's a good resource for you, please check it out. If you don't, yeah, see, if you don't see the listening notes with the links on your 
app or platform uh, because depending on where you're listening, they may be included with the RSS upload or not. You can always look at our page on Podbeam where everything there is very legible and easy to reach with individual links to the recordings on, app, on Apple Music and Spotify. So check that out. You can listen to the tunes that we talk about each week. And I just want to mention Deezer is not sponsoring us. That's that's us really appreciating exactly. this this app. Okay, they could sponsor us if they want. Yes, sir. someone if wants to send this any their Deezer way. We do like them a lot. Who are listening yeah. here? Uh, yeah. Please uh, at least make me able to find my own podcast. Yeah. And uh, yeah. lastly, before we step into this, uh, if you're listening and you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow. Uh, subscribe or follow us on your podcasting app or platform. Give us a rating or a review. Give us a rating. If you enjoy yeah. it. That'll help rating, us get rating noticed. Rating especially. Just got to click the stars. <laughs> That'll get us into the recommended browsing category, which we pop into or out of, depending on the week. And uh, also, if you have a music-loving friend, please uh, share and uh, recommend us to them. Uh, that'll yeah. help us uh, grow our audience. And if you'd uh, like to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear uh, where you are, what you listen to, if you have any other composers or jazz musicians from your country that you'd like us to listen to. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us directly at adultmusicpodcast, one word, at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be sure to reply to you. Okay. Yeah. Has right. anybody written? Has anyone written yet? Uh, no listeners have written to us. No yet. listeners have written. Yeah, we've I got a checked. few reviews okay. on Podbeam itself, and we've got a couple uh, Apple nice. podcast ratings that are very nice. But we want more. We want to hear from our audience, and we yeah. want to contact with classical jazz and good music listeners around the globe so we'd love to hear from you so don't be shy uh please write and get in touch indeed okay right. so On i guess we're ready music. to go huh we're On ready we're, let's start with the old the very old uh, yeah generally coming up yeah just so we know the way the way we generally plan this out is we go from old to new and it's generally classical in the first half of the program and jazz in the last half just in case we have listeners who just want to hear the classical part or just want to hear the jazz part. You'll know where to find them if you can fast forward ahead. Okay, so we're going back to the Baroque era, my personal favorite era. Well, I don't know about that. I like the modernist era too, that which would be the early, late 19th, early 20th century too. But uh, the Baroque era is generally a very happy time, and we have a very sad recording <laughs> from that era. <laughs> um, it's, it's a requiem, which is the uh, death mass of the Catholic Church. Um, these these were kind of uh, popular works to uh, to um, put set to music, popular right. texts to set to music behind the actual mass. Um, and this one is by uh, Heinrich Biba, a German Baroque composer. Uh, Does no that mean relation that to Justin <laughs> no Bieber re- is dead? No, his music is dead. I was going to say no relation to Justin Bieber. Oh. Thankfully, because uh, I don't know. The, the the Beeb apparently has a new album out, but so does uh, Heinrich Bieber. He spells his name differently: B I B E R. Okay, no E, no E in there. Okay, that and would be the uh, that would be some weird. Nah, it would know. be. Drake isn't on this album either, is he? Drake is not on. Well, how uh, did that come up? Well, I don't know. I guess he was a guest. <laughs> no, who's on this album is Vox Luminous and uh, the Freiburger Baroque Consort, conducted by Lionel Munier. Um, now I've heard these um, 
these musicians before and that made me want to hear this um recording i do like uh, bieber's music and heinrich bieber the 18th century baroque composer now bieber was a violinist and i first came into contact with his music in the late 90s when this fantastic recording came out um of this then unknown composer i guess he's still relatively unknown by uh, andrew manns and uh richard egar okay and um vi- violin and harpsichord and manns i hope i'm saying his name right he's got an e at the end i didn't check this one but his sound was really manns's sound was really special he had this kind of you know usually you get the he, he played a, a period violin and I guess it was gut strings, but he had this really like matte sound as opposed mm. to the uh, shiny, pearly sound that you generally get from a modern, uh, from most violinists, actually. It was it was a gorgeous, a really unique sound. And uh, that drew me in. The Bieber violin sonatas uh, on that recording uh, were, uh, it's on Harmonia Mundi. You can still get it, of course, if you, you want to check it out. Um uh, they were really free. It sounded like he wrote down improvisations, you know, because there was like sort of these like harpsichord chords. The harpsichord didn't do much. And then there would just be these kind of like uh, long drawn out notes at the beginning as though the violinist is kind of thinking of what to play next. And then he would play that. And it, it just felt really uh, meditative and free. And I really liked that. So I kind of kept him, I filed his name away. And, um, wanted to hear his music now this particular album the bieber requiem um was also a recommended album on i think on presto music one week yes i believe yeah and that kind of just drew me and i said okay we got to do this one all right now it turns out it the uh, album title is the bieber requiem but it turns out that the uh, requiem is just the centerpiece of this um album that has a uh, quite a few other works on it quite a few substantial other works on it. It's not the Bieber Requiem is not very long. It's just multi yeah. movements. Okay. And the thing that really made this I, I liked this a lot actually. The thing that made this album for me, first of all, not is the sound, we'll get to that. The the actual sound that uh, the Freiburger Baroque concert makes and the Vox Luminous make in this recording. But also the program. Okay. The Bieber Requiem really isn't enough to sustain like an entire C D. It's kind of a short where I think it's about twenty minutes long or so. I'm guessing. I, I can actually check. <laughs> but uh, The other works the, on here are really uh, quite nice, too. The, yeah. There's... Uh, well, the first Bieber, one... Yeah, the... the uh, is it uh, Fuchs Sonata is quite nice. And uh, yeah. the other instrumental ones are, are really nice as well. Yeah. The way they've done this, is it starts out with uh, two works by Christoph Bernhard. Um, a, a, a composer of the period, and they're all Baroque composers, of course. The first one is sort of a um, a sung text, "Herr nun lässt du deinen Diener," which <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Let me just—I have my booklet here. You can hear me flapping the pages away. Um, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart. So, kind of like setting the mood for the uh, the requiem mass. Uh, this is a sung text. It's pretty long. It's about 12 minutes long. And uh, then there's another work by him. Then we have um, an instrumental work, a sonata by uh, Johann Michael Nikolai. Mikhail Nikolai, okay? Johann Mikhail Nikolai, okay? A sonata. And then comes the Bieber Requiem. And after that, Johann Josef Fuchs. We have another s- instrumental work. So it's sort of like the... Um, 
the, the Requiem is buffered by these two instrumental works and then you get another vocal work to kind of, so he's like it's set off sort of like a jewel in this kind of like ornate sort of um yes. setting and I really liked the uh the programming on the disc first of all I thought the entire program it's, it makes it easy to listen to all the way through and uh yeah really enjoyable okay this now okay well let's go through this from the beginning I guess the Christoph Bernhard her nun lesses du deinen Dina uh, beautifully set. Um, one of the things that really um, impresses me about this is this this ensemble's sound. It's kind of like a darker sound that you usually get in um, Baroque music. Um, I'm not sure if this work uh, it used a lot of brass. There were a lot of really interesting sounding brass on this on this entire recording. What the things that struck me about this the mm. the acoustics are great. It's a really stunning yeah. recording, and then the it's very overall- close. The mm. overall mood, when you listen to this, it will put you in a very meditative, spiritual mm-hmm. kind of mood. I've li- I've really turned on to this recording. I've listened to it three times uh, mm. this week. Um, so the sonics are wonderful. And yeah. the uh, Vox Luminous, we've listened to some of the recordings before. The purity of the voices, especially the female voices, is really arresting. The the tone good word. is yeah. so pure and you know there's no vibrato on these long fermata holds and you, you'll just be stunned by how the the tone is very pure and then as you mentioned the brass i i really was drawn in on the which movement uh, it's the one this is interesting it's a one the a Bieber, and one b yeah right. on the requiem so the one b the um Kyrie, the mm-hmm. what I noticed in in the way this is composed, uh, and the other pieces as you mentioned also have brass, a lot of brass. But in here too, the brass and the voices, rather than the orchestration being an accompaniment for the the choral parts, it's actually sort of interjoined. And so many of the parts of the voices are sort of doubled in the brass voices. Yeah. And so rather than the the choral work being sort of laid on top of an accompaniment it actually joins together and so you get the same pitches but with different timbres but they're so close that they're doubled and that effect is also sort of magnified because when the the voices move with the sections the dynamics and the phrasings are perfectly in sync so you hear the the voice and the part that's doubled in one of the orchestrated parts. There, the crescendos, the getting louder and right. softer, and all mm. of the phrasing are perfectly synced together. And it's really quite amazing when you hear you know voices and instruments moving together in unison like that. Uh, but there is for baroque music, as you mentioned, a lot of brass on here, which. I thought was you know very interesting to me because I'm always listening for really good brass parts and so all of these pieces have you know really good brass arrangements on them. Yeah, I'm always a little surprised to hear brass in like a vocal baroque uh, recording. Right. Usually you get a lot of strings; they're very string heavy. But th- it kind of gave it a darker tone, which is appropriate for the requiem. I, yeah. I want to kind of say something also about um, what you mentioned: the voices are really pure. They're also 
the the ensemble makes this unique sound in baroque music I, this group only sounds like themselves there's something very unique about this and i think it needs to be heard i'd like to encourage everybody just to give this a sample uh go right to the biba requiem you should actually the entire album is pretty great but uh yeah. so if you want to actually sit down and listen to the whole thing straight through absolutely do that but uh if you just want to get a sample go go for the biba requiem maybe the kyrie would be a good place to start um I remember the uh, good old bad old days of uh, early, um, uh, you know, you know, early period instrument brass back in the 1980s when uh, people really didn't know how to play the instruments yet, and you'd hear them on recordings. And it was I remember it being. You listen to them today, and they kind of sound like you know people are on like a turkey hunt or something. Turkey calls, yeah, 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 turkey calls. No, this one is really good. You can tell they're period instruments, but the technique is really spot on here. Yeah, the horns I kind of, and other instruments. Yeah, I kind of think that that was really exciting back in the day, though, because it was a new sound. It was something mm-hmm. kind of that we hadn't heard in classical music before. Back in the seventies and eighties, before period instruments came along, classical music was very. It's it, it was kind of elite sounding. You know what I mean? There was a way to play it, and you know that you, you know it was like a whole like almost like ceremony listening to it. Right. A set of works and that still exists to some extent but uh i think period instruments kind of made it more a little more exciting really it kind of you know the, you don't really know what's what's going to happen yeah. um yeah the, these guys it's exciting but nevertheless these um one of the um interesting things about baroque um instrument era instruments if you're playing on period instruments and especially period brass is that they don't blend together very well and that is kind of interesting because now you can hear all the lines kind of you know very clearly that was a real revelation for me and back in the day it's one reason why i still love um hearing baroque mu- music on period instruments today i think that really what's really what sold me okay um so that we we got right to the biba requiem i just want to say this is this uh this uh, work is nothing like uh what i kind of expected from bieber because i kind of think of him as being spacious and this is really a very composed work like you said the interlocking brass with the the vocals are there and that was really the the main uh thing that i heard in this too yeah the beautiful sound and then we get a um a, another sonata after that by johann josef fuchs and then um Oh, a, a choral work by him, Omnis Terra Adoret. Yeah, those were very Latin. enjoyable too. Yeah, the whole the whole the album program is really really unites well, uh, start to finish with these different composers and uh, right. the sheen that they they put over it matches the overall characteristics, and you get a nice sort of start to finish journey here. I, I think Ex- I've listened to this three or four times this week. I liked it yeah. that much. Excellent program, excellent sound. Um, yeah, I, I highly recommend this. Give it a listen, everybody. Indeed. I really like this one. Okay. All right. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is um, we have a – we talked about uh, Piazzolla's – the 100th anniversary of his um, birth last week, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this week we've got another anniversary. Actually, we've got two. There's a hidden one in here too. We've got two discs, two albums that were released um, a week apart from each other. One is on Beasts and one is on Harmonia Mundi. Of music from uh, Proust, Mar- the Salons of Marcel Proust, the French writer, the author of uh, In Search of Lost Time, A la Recherche de Temps Perdu. Some, some listeners might remember it in English as Remembrance of Things Past. They've changed the translation of it, which is actually a good thing in this case. Yeah, these are right. in- interesting in that 
uh, how can I say, they're sort of recreations of yeah. programs of, you know, a period. So as a theme or a list of works following a previous performance, a historical performance is, is kind of unique and interesting uh, in its own right. And I found that kind of intriguing because we don't hear a lot of this type of thing in a selection of material. Yeah, um, not only that, but this happens to be like one of my favorite eras in music, in classical music history. Like I said, the late 19th, early 20th century, right up until World War II began when everything uh, got ruined. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Especially in yeah. French music like we have here, so... Yeah, this this yeah this was like the Euro, this is only the beginning of what was going to happen in France too because Debussy and Ravel came afterwards. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's this year, twenty twenty one, happens to be the one hundred fiftieth anniversary of Proust's birth. Okay, so this is what so this is an anniversary year idea. These programs were put together for him. By the way, uh, Proust died when he was fifty one years old. So next year is going to be the hundredth anniversary of his death. Oh. So I guess it's a, I guess it's a two year festival. <laughs> you know? More recordings, yeah. maybe. I get a two-year celebration. I don't know how many of these they can do. Anyway, we've got two of these. Now, the first one I want to talk about is um, called Proust Le Concert Retrouvé. And this is by our good friend um, Théotime oh. Langlois de Svarte. He of the um, the amazing name that we heard on um, an earlier recording that we talked about. This was, um, what Episode was it called? two, I think. Yeah. Duo by duo. The Mad... The the mad uh, lover the mad right. lover that's it yes and i found out actually i he's on another recording that i have that i actually sent to you of uh, music by uh pierre dandrieu dandrieu who's oh. a french baroque composer and uh corelli is also on that music is also on that record and that was right. an amazing record too so i was really looking forward to this yeah it's so on I, uh, harmonia mundi right not only that but i got the disc and it turns out that uh langlois de Svarte plays the uh Davidoff Stradivarius violin made in 1708. So one of the best violins in the world, an old Stradivarius. And it does and his, sound uh, sweet. It sounds very yeah, sweet, yes. It does. And um, Tanguy de Villiencourt is the uh, pianist on this. And he's playing an Erard piano from 1891. Now, Erard pianos, this is a sound that's really gone out. It's, it's a little bit of... It's kind of it's not as full as a modern grand piano. It's a, bit it's a bright little, and shallow compared to a full piano, but it not in a bad little way. Tink, it does it's a little sound bit good. of a tinkly yeah. sound to it, and it um it's got a fast action. Now, this is pretty interesting because it means that works that were written for the Arad piano, uh, mostly Austrian works, things by Hummel and Mendelssohn and things like that, um, were written with this fast action in mind. And then you don't hear a lot of these works today because the uh, the modern grand piano's action isn't as fast as the Arad's was. So uh, a lot of that music has gone out of style, but pianists are bringing it back as they, uh, hmm. now that they have these superhuman techniques and can do anything. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So anyway, the, the, this not only... Okay, so there's that. So we're going to actually have a, a recreation of a, a sound of the era, too. We're not going to hear this on a modern nine-foot grand piano. So that was exciting, you know, getting me uh, more excited still. And then I looked at the program, and oh, man, these are all my favorite composers on here. Um, they play uh, Gabriel Forge. The uh, the centerpiece would be the first violin sonata, right. a piece I absolutely That's love. That's very nice. Yeah, Après un rêve, which is um, a song, and also the Berceuse, which is a violin and piano uh, 
uh, short short piece uh, for right. violin piano, and um, the, there are a few other a few other solo works too. We'll get yeah, to those a in a minute. Yeah, there's a few piano pieces on here. Chopin, Prelude. Yeah, basically, this seems to be a Tanguy de Tanguy de Villiers album because he gets a few solos and uh, Langlois de you know Team Langlois de Suarte is um his um you know plays along a few times. Let me go through this a little bit because um. I have a few things to say about this album. <laughs> it was it wasn't as exciting as I I, I was a little bit let down by this. Oh, I'll okay. explain why. Okay. Um although I you know, I liked it enough, I guess. Okay, first of all, Reynaldo Hahn, um Proust lover apparently. Okay. He was one of the great you know, one of the most promising composers of the era. We have his song Acloris. Okay, first, this is an arrangement for violin and piano, and this sounds okay. It's got its famous piano accompaniment, uh, which makes it really memorable. We get a Robert Schumann uh, piece, Des Abends. This is a solo by um, uh, Villian Court, and he sounds quite good on here. You get to hear mm-hmm. the um, the sound of the um, uh, the, in- the instrument there. Okay, and then the, the, this now the next piece really interested me. This is the Raindrop Prelude by Chopin, which everybody will probably know. Maybe you don't know the name, but you've heard it before. Now, I was really interested in this because the the Erard piano was uh, Chopin's um, you know instrument of choice. Now, this is an 1891 Erard. Chopin would have played in 1830, 1841, which would have sounded a lot lighter. Um, but it was interesting to hear this. I was very but as an aside, by the way, um, I always wonder why we don't hear more recordings of Chopin's music on an Arard piano of the period. They, I guess pianists like to uh, just play it on the big nine-foot grand. Um, there have been a few, but not that many. I'm kind mm. of interested in the whole sound that Chopin was hearing at the time. All right. So um, on this piece, it's kind of interesting to hear because when you hear this piece, usually you hear it by the time you get to the middle and those big bass chords come out, it just sounds like thunder emerging from the piano and that doesn't happen here now this is not the pianist's fault um the instrument does doesn't deliver that kind of uh gigantic sound uh but you get this big sounding uh bass bass tone out of that um and then that's enough but the thing is this is a this is a solo this is um uh, tangui um the villian chord is playing this solo and this piece has been played by all the great, greatest pianists who have ever lived. They've, they've all recorded it. And um, he kind of lacks in a bit of poetry in this piece. And, and to be honest, in general, I'll get to that. Um, he plays it well. It's, 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 it's pleasant enough to listen to. But I was just kept wanting to hear, like, say, someone like uh, Evgeny Kisin or somebody like that, you know, in yeah. a piece like this, who could really bring out all the poetry in it. Um, so anyway, so that was um, yeah, I was willing to forgive that because of what was coming. Okay, next comes the Foray Sonata for violin and piano. I love this piece to the skies. It's very positive, and mm-hmm. it's it's ecstatic. Um, the the they play it well. Okay, the first movement goes along uh, at a nice pace. Uh, without the um. Yeah, the, the the levels of ecstasy I've heard in other recordings, but it was very pleasant until the very end. I was really waiting for the big payoff. There's this very high violin note in the coda right before the first movement ends, and it just kind of sustains that. And there's this wonderful wave of arpeggios supporting it underneath in the um, 
in the uh, piano normally. Now, when uh, Theotime Langlois de Swart, Swart plays this, he loses the top note under the piano. He plays it quietly for some reason, and it just drove me crazy. I just felt kind of <laughs> let down by that. I really wanted to hear the... Uh, you know the big re- that big release that big ecstatic point uh he actually gets lost in the in the piano arpeggio that sweeps over him he's he kind of gave me the image of a a surfer who had fallen off his board and just got swept by a wave is what is what i thought of and i had that in mind for the next three movements which were all very good okay no complaints there all right after that comes the bersus another piece that i love and in this piece um um, Langlois de Svarte, the, um, the violinist, um, his entry, the entry has to be quiet, which he does, but it has to be in a full tone, just very quiet. And, uh, Langlois de Svarte's tone is kind of like, feels like it's kind of like flaky instead of like, uh, like this full round kind of sound. So he kind of lost his tone in the beginning. And then when the uh, phrase repeats the second time, then he's okay. But, um, he, he's... He's he loses he's losing his sound when he plays uh, quietly here. So I kind of not my favorite performance of this piece, though it's mm-hmm. nice enough. Okay, and here's where the then we get to Francois Couperin Le Barricade Mysterieuse, and this is where um, we have a bunch of um, pieces coming up where Tanguy de Villiers is playing uh, solo, and this is the low point of the disc. Okay, let me explain this. Um, the Couperin work is a Baroque era work, and I believe this work works best when it's played in a steady rhythm and you can hear all of these sort of like subtle sort of like changes of uh, melody in the repeating figuration, okay? Uh, it's subtle. It's a, it's a subtle work and it comes across in a steady melody, but um, Tanguy de Villiancourt in this, in this case plays it almost like a romantic work. He speeds it up and slows it down and I feel like he just loses the entire... Um, character of the piece by doing that. Hmm. Um, yeah, this is a pianist who's. I feel like his idea of expression is like has to do. It's in tempo and things like that, and he doesn't have much subtlety in his playing. Uh, the next piece is uh, an arrangement of Après un Rêve by uh, Gabriel Faure uh, with the violin. Then comes Faure's Nocturne Number no. Six. All right, this piece in uh, Tanguy de Villiers-Cortin's sounds prosaic. Um, it's it's a word, a nocturne is, it's a night piece. It's supposed to be full of mystery and moonlight. And it sounds like he's just reading this off the score. He hasn't really thought about it too much. Um, Foray's nocturnes are really subtle. And in the best recordings of them ever made, and really of all of Foray's recordings, were made in the 1950s. Uh, by a pianist by the name of Germain Thyssens de Valentin. Um, now, this is a very old recording. It's in mono, and I'm really not too crazy about the matte finish of the recordings made in that era, though her playing <laughs> is spectacular. I like the shinier, glossier modern productions. Stephen Huff also plays this piece and plays it exceptionally well mm-hmm. on his Hyperion recording, uh, Stephen Huff's French album, which is really all worth hearing. So look for that, everybody. I, so I felt like um, Tanguy de Villiancourt kind of lets down the side here. He then plays, surprisingly, Richard Wagner's uh, Isolde's Liebestod in an arrangement by Liszt. Okay, Franz Liszt. Mm-hmm. Now, now at this point, I was thinking, okay, he's this, this isn't a guy who... Um, 
really emotes very much at the piano. And this is a piece where you have to emote a lot. This is like high romanticism. Um, but he actually puts this piece across fairly well. Um, again, he's not he, he he's not a terribly hard on sleeve composer, but I think it's lists some um, uh, arrangement that allows like a lot of this to come through. A lot of the detail in the um, piano writing comes out on this, which probably because of the instrument. And of course, you know, I don't, I want to give the pianist credit for that. Tanguy de Villiers some, uh, you know, weighting of the uh, notes. Another aside, can you imagine? Franz Liszt playing an Erard piano. These would have been the pianos that were available <laughs> to him. And um, he must have just destroyed them because he was like, he had this giant monster technique. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it, w- it would have been like, a, you, you, what do you call it? Like um, like a demolition derby or something, you know, pianist, ver- this <laughs> pianist versus piano. I kind of had a, a, a kind of joke scene imagining that in my novel Extreme Music, except that uh, the piano wins in, in my version. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, List, um, he was um vanquisher of pianos back in the day. Uh, these days, the uh, piece of industrial equipment that is the modern nine-foot grand piano doesn't allow that to happen. Pianos haven't become <laughs> big and mighty the way they were back in the day, or at least um, compared to the instruments they played. All right, so anyway, that's that's kind of a nice thing. And then at the end, we have another Reynaldo Hahn piece to send us off, Lyrexquise. This is a, um, exquise. This is a, um, um, a, a song arrangement. Again, Hahn wrote a lot of songs, and this is, um, very nice. Okay, so I thought this was, um, this, um, album was decent, but uh, it kind of let me down. I just think it could have been so much more. If we had had really great performances on this, this would have been a, a disc I would listen to again and again. So anyway, do you want to say anything about this before I go to the next one? Or? Well, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. M- more so, uh, Desuarte, this having listened, you know, when we listened to The Mad Lover, and yeah. I was intrigued by uh, his playing, and mostly his sound. He has this very sweet, yeah, I won't call yeah. it bright sound. It's not bright, it's sweet. Uh, yeah. maybe, and it's probably a combination of that wonderful instrument he has and his technique Fantastic. and his approach. Yeah. And so uh, on this, listening into this album, this recording, and knowing some of the works, uh, I, I enjoyed it overall. And uh, I have to say that I didn't make anything noteworthy about the piano performance, but uh, rather, you know, the, the piano pieces I thought were you know, adequate, uh, but nothing stunning. But I kept coming back to the sound of the violin and his phrasing and tone is what I really like a lot about uh, his play. And he's rather yeah. young, so... Um, yeah, both of them are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sure they'll they'll grow. But uh, I'm, I'm interested in the variety of music that... Uh, Deswarte is is uh, taking. He seems to be quite active, and so yeah, I I just enjoyed the the program, and I thought at least the pairing of all the pieces together worked really well. Yeah, um, I like the program a lot. Yeah, okay. and and so yeah, it's an enjoyable uh, sort of program, and imagining it as a sort of recital piece in that time, uh, I thought, well, yeah. What a great Let's just say, if music, I were there, yeah. I would have loved this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. so I like yeah. this. I should mention, by the way, Faure figures um, heavily in uh, Proust concerts because he was very much the composer of the day right. in the French salons, and uh, Proust himself loved uh, Faure's music. Um, oh, also, um, Langlois, this, this um, 
violinist. Um, he he's apparently got most of his experience in Baroque music because he he plays that exceptionally well. Right. Uh, I I think this is kind of a a new thing for him playing. Well, he must have played it in school, of course. But uh, this recording for romantic music it, it requires something a little different than Baroque music. You really have to kind of fill in the. Um, the, the the emotional spaces it's that's not all in the score okay that that really has to do with the way you uh, you weight notes or the way you approach cadences you know you usually kind of want to delay it a little bit and s- stuff like that and I don't know I feel like they don't really especially Tongui to really in court I don't really know much about him um, I haven't heard any of his other recordings so I can't really I don't want to judge him or anything like that mm. but um, I just feel like he was a little um, he needs to work on his romantic uh, repertoire, <laughs> let's just say. Or at least play the Baroque repertoire, the Couperin, you know, in the steady rhythm right. that it should be played in. All right, well, this is a double header. Fortunately, we have another Proust Salon, this one by Stephen Isserlis on the cello and Connie Shi on the piano. That's Shi, S-H-I-H. Is that or is that sure? Is it sure? I don't know. It's his Chinese name. It's a Chinese name. Yeah, maybe but she's Canadian. She's Canadian, sure. so like, is it I sure? I would say shi, like uh, like the dog, a Shih Tzu. Well, it's been a long time since I've studied Chinese, so yeah. But yeah. I don't, I don't know. Okay, it could be sure. Anyway, sure for, for sure. Forgive us, forgive us. Sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Here, here comes the hate mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, forgive us, Chinese listeners, for not knowing Chinese. If it was a Japanese name, we'd be okay, though. I think. Then it'd be anyway. All right. Anyway, Isserlis, yeah, you know, he th- this this is a great cellist, probably one of the best in the world oh, yeah, today. He's one of the finest, and, and his quality you can hear right from the beginning. There's a there's a night and day difference between these two recordings. I feel um, the first piece we get is again Reynaldo Hahn, again a regular of at Proust's um, a feature at Proust salons, being that he was uh, with Proust for a while. Uh, but this is um this is uh and this isn't a song um, transcription. This is a uh, ver- set of variations. Um, and it starts out really well. We get um, Isolus' very deep, um, emotive um, tone. It's it, and it's just fantastic to listen to. Not only that, I want to say this um, this Beast recording is on an SACD, and it just sounds fantastic. It's just a really big, deep live sound. So you get that that extra like uh, quality direct direct stream digital recording. It's fantastic. All right, we get some more uh, Forêt, this time um, romance, two short works, Romance and Elegy. Um, both played fairly slowly, and uh, this is nice. I want to mention, yeah. by the way, Con- Con- the, the pianist is fantastic on this recording, too, Connie Shi. Um, I have a recording from yeah. 1995 mm-hmm. of Isolis playing Forêt. Actually, I think I got it from you probably about I know, I know 20 the one, years ago. We're gonna- yeah. I think the César Franck work is on that too. Yeah, we'll Franck is on that as well. But I actually, yeah. I compared the two and I like this better. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's the pianist's contribution to it. Um, I think the pianist on that one was uh, Stephen Huff, which is um, yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty but, impressive. Or it's just, you know, growing or whatever. But I, I just found this one, well, I don't know, more passionate, uh, especially mm-hmm. the, uh, the uh, elegy. Uh, it starts out sort of very subdued but it builds yeah. into very uh passionate uh expression here and uh i enjoyed that a lot yeah this is a great recording yeah and this is a great uh duo um she leaves a, leaves a lot of room for a service to uh emote and you know really get dig into his tone you you can hear him 
um, you know, taking the time to really dig into the um, the tone and get the quality that he wants out of it. It's really just fantastic to listen to. Hmm. Um, it's really amazing. This is this is this is really is a great performance. Okay, next is the one of the two. There are two centerpieces on this album. The first one is uh, Camille Saint Saëns, and this is the hidden anniversary that I was that I had oh. uh, hinted at uh, before because uh, it is the um, what is it? Oh, it's the 200th anniversary of Saint-Saëns' birth this oh, year. Is that happy right? Happy birthday, is it? Yeah, uh-huh. happy 200th birthday, which I think it has already passed. I should probably make sure that I got that right. I'm sure I wrote it down somewhere, but I'm not look, I'm not finding my no- things in my notes today. All right, let me just do a quick search here. Uh, Saint-Saëns was born. Come on, 1821, right? Right? No, okay. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. It's the hundredth anniversary of his death. Sorry, oh. he was he died in 1921. He was okay. born in 1835. Okay. He was, uh, in fact, he died on 16 December, uh, 1921, a day before uh, Beethoven's birthday. How about mm. that? Okay, so the hundredth anniversary of Camille Saint-Saëns' death. Okay, and we have a Saint-Saëns work here now. Saint-Saëns figures in Proust's uh, history um, in an interesting way because. Um, in the now the in Swan's Way, um, there's a composer by the name of Vintoy, and he uh, writes a violin sonata that's get gets played at a salon, much like uh, one of the ones that uh, Proust would have held. And there's a theme in it, um, this little melody. There's a word that he specifically uses for it, a little phrase. Okay, it's in um, petit phrase, I think they say in French, but. Uh, it becomes the theme of uh, Swan's love for Odette. And then it, it kind of plays through as this theme. And at the end, when Odette kind of, he realizes that Odette doesn't love him and she's seeing other men, the uh, little phrase kind of changes its quality for him. It's still the same phrase, but it has a different feeling. Okay. And mm. then it's said that that little phrase was inspired by a phrase in Camille Saint-Saëns' first violin sonata, not not cello sonata. <laughs> but here we have the first cello sonata being that we have a cello and piano duo and uh this is this is pretty interesting. It's um it's 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 got again great depth of tone. I was just really overwhelmed by Sirlis's playing all the way through with this big uh, dramatic first movement and the uh, middle movement, the slow middle movement and the the third movement are f- both fairly short. Apparently originally the um the finale the last movement was was longer and we are given that as well on this recording the allegro quasi presto is the original finale of this sonata yeah original Appa- version yeah apparently um Sassons's mother didn't like it and told them to shorten it so well, it's almost it's, 9 minutes long so yeah that's, but that's uh, okay i mean yeah you know. yeah but the 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 um yeah the the uh, replacement one is really kind of um you know I'm not getting, coming up with words for this. It's it's short and very. Um, see, I'm thinking of words like dramatic and powerful, but it's something else. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know. But you shouldn't kind take of, advice. It kind of moves ahead pretty quickly. You shouldn't let's take advice say. from your mother on your compositions. Yeah. That's bad. Well, Sassons was there. that kind of guy, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. His mom was very domineering, apparently. He apparently grew up among women. Actually, his aunt, I think, was a big influence on him, too. I may be confusing him with Proust, though, but I think they had so Sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, next we get a uh, 
Lament, Lamento from Henri Dupac from his Chalcinata in A minor. And this is a bit of a discovery. It's a very yeah, what's short up with this piece. One? I've never heard really this one nice. before. And yeah. it's only the second movement. What happened to the rest of this? Uh, they talk about that um, in the booklet. I'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. Okay. Please enlighten me because that was a curiosity to me. Yeah. They excerpted it because... I don't remember why. Let me see. Because the booklet, by the way, if you get the, uh, the the Super Audio CD, the booklet notes are written by Isserlis himself, and he's an excellent writer. Oh. He's written a few books, in fact, about music as well. They're, and for, for uh, not academic books, they're for, like, the the layman. And he's, uh, he's very funny and very uh, witty. Um, let me see here. Okay. Uh, this guy, Reputation, Henri Duparc. His, his reputation rests entirely on a collection of 17 songs, all composed before the age of 37, at which point mental illness overtook him, with the result that he composed nothing more for the almost 50 remaining years of his life. Wow. Wow. Well, at least he didn't die young like Hans Rohe the last week. Yeah. What was yeah, he anyway. doing for the rest of those 50 years? Yeah, and destroyed much of what remained from his fertile years. A student cello sonata composed in his late teens did survive in manuscript. We present here the slow movement, a song without words evocatively titled Lamento. Proust seems to have felt that one of Duparc's most famous songs, L'Invitation au Voyage, suffered from too many notes, but he could scarcely have leveled the accusation at this little gem. A little gem it is. I wanted to hear the Very rest nice. of it. Yeah, me too. And I really wish they had uh, recorded that. <laughs> Although this is nice, an 80... Yeah. Yeah, this is an 83-minute album, so that's probably the reason why we didn't hear the rest of it. Um, in fact, if they had left this off, it would have been an 81-minute album. Yeah. <laughs> they squeezed this whole thing onto this one Super Audio CD. The next, one, the next piece is a piece by Augusta Holmes, uh, a recording a composer also who I haven't uh, ever heard of. And uh, Isserlis um, gives a pretty <laughs> colorful picture of her, too. She's apparently a very strong, domineering woman. I shouldn't say domineering. That's such an old-fashioned word. People don't like it. Okay. She was a fiery character. Okay. Sounds dangerous. Run yeah. Away. And she seems to have captured the hearts of most of the male musicians of Paris. I'm reading from the booklet now, so this isn't. Ooh. these aren't my words, okay? Whips no copyright infringements, okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, particularly those of Saint-Saëns and César Franck, who kind of hated each other. So maybe this is why. They both like they both like this one woman. Uh, she was also a fierce patriot, both French and Irish, a talented singer, um, uh, and she was um, and the mother scandalously of five illegitimate children. Sounds like uh, a novel novel in there. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Something you didn't do back in those days. Okay, that was kind of wow. y- your reputation was important back then. Uh, the highlight of her career was the extraordinary performance at the 1889 Paris Exhibition. Universelle, so the World's Fair, I guess, celebrating the centenary of the French Revolution of her cantata La Triomphe de la République, au Triomphal, which involved around 1,200 performers. Good God. Wow. <laughs> In addition to composing the music and the text, this woman was a monster. Man, Holmes designed the costumes. <laughs> Boy. We're talking about dedicated. And stipulated that almost all the principal performers have blonde hair. Hmm. Wow. And actually, the word hmm is written out in this, okay? Wow. Okay, 30,000 people are said to have attended the first performance. That would be like Madison Square Garden numbers, I think. Or even more than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a small uh, hockey rink or like a small baseball stadium, I guess. 30,000? Wow. Wow. 30,000, yeah. That's a baseball stadium. 
average size baseball stadium in the major leagues. Okay, nevertheless, Holmes was subsequently honored by becoming a Chevalier of the Legion d'Honneur. Okay, so she got... Um, Proust does not appear to have been a great fan of Holmes's. Perhaps he felt that she was a rival to Han, but he did play her songs, and he thanked two pages of hers for assisting this great artist. Okay, so this... Um, performance of this piece, La Vision de la Reine, is also a cantata. It's from a cantata, also to her own text. And um, this is an arrangement of that. Okay, and it was nice. I liked it a lot. Arranged by Stephen Asurlis himself. Okay, now last, we have the César Franca Violin Sonata in A major. Okay, now this is a an arrangement for the cello. It was made months after the Violin Sonata was published. Okay. By, I'm going to tell you who did it. Um, it does not, it says it's here somewhere. Uh, okay, the French cellist Jules Dessart made a transcription for cello, transcription for cello, and um, the work was okay. So he now calls it a sonata for violin or cello, but let me just say, okay, first of all, this is a great performance. This is the best performance of this work I've ever heard on the cello. Well, you okay, know, but, yeah, but I, not on the violin. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I know this piece very well, but after I yeah. listened to this, I, I started to think, I want to hear all violin sonatas on the cello because it's <laughs> Did so you really? good. Yeah, yeah, I really it liked is. it. It is. It's yeah, pretty yeah. fantastic. It's really yeah. deep. He brings out like all the, the emotional well, things I get from the violin uh, versions of it. Yeah, I'm going to mention this coming up soon but you know uh i can listen to some violin music and i like it but there's something about the violin you know it's that range that sometimes it just hits that nerve in my head too many times mm -hmm. and yeah. then i i have to you know i can listen to one work you know three or four movements and that's enough for me at one sort of sitting but i never feel that way about cello because mm. you know cello to me is just the range of the instrument and the closeness to the human voice that well, I, can I think it's the full range of the human the, voice from the lowest yeah. bass notes to the high soprano notes and so I, you yeah. know some like Sunday afternoons or something I can listen to multiple cello works and mm -hmm. you know they just put me at ease and the range sort of gives me comfort whereas sometimes the cello hits the or rather the violin hits that button that just you know the hairs on my neck stand up and I'm like Ugh, okay yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah so listening to you know this work which I know mainly for from uh, violin uh, and so this is playing of it is, is really really nice and so uh yeah i really enjoyed this work and and sort of closing out things on here i thought oh yeah this is great yeah they play it so well too and um a key point the the, the pianist is very much an equal partner in this because mm. he's got some or she in this case has some uh serious uh piano figuration and uh, to play okay it's almost like a solo piano work with yeah. uh, with a violin on it yeah. um so kanishi Sure, she okay is uh I, I couldn't get a I looked for the pronunciation of her name I couldn't find it anyway um yeah is is just you know is is fantastic in this too this might be the the second best performance of this work I've ever heard on violin or cello my favorite performance of the um, Franck violin sonata is by the legendary recording by Kyung Wa Chung and Radu Lupu from the 1970s. It's kind of definitive to me. And uh, one thing that I didn't like about this particular performance, and it's not the performance, it's the it's the um, arrangement. In the um, last 
movement. It's a canon. So the you know the the cello will repeat what the piano plays and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some points when the uh, the piano is playing in the in the higher range, and the violin would be above the piano, but the cello can't get up that high, so yeah. it's kind of below it, and it sort of gets lost under there, and it's it's it has to do with the harmonics and right. things like that. So that kind of bugged me. I really wanted to hear that that line more clearly. There, was, mm-hmm. there wasn't much you can do about it because of the arrangement, but. Right. Um, Nevertheless, I like this a lot. This is a highly recommended recording. Um, I recommend this if you're going to get listen to one, listen to this one over the um, the uh, the uh, the previous one that we talked about. All yeah. right, highly yeah, it's recommended. It's more polished. Yes. I appreciate those the uh, two younger musicians, though. I think they're very promising. Oh, like, and uh, oh, I think so too. I'm not it, dismissing them by any no, means. No. I just kind of found uh, some of those. And I like this sort of um, lacking. Mm. A historical program from a period approach. It's another way of looking at, you know, assembling some pieces together. And uh, it sort of makes you imagine that you're there at that time yeah. uh, listening to uh, something in, in a venue uh, that we don't yeah. have today. So, yeah. And how and how great that would have been when all this oh, music amazing. was new. And it was, it's, it's amazing music. I just love all yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. Okay, I'm kind of sorry to leave it now. Anyway, we're going on to the next, um, the the last of the classical recordings for this week is, um, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, Lisa Davidson, okay? Uh, soprano, this is her new album of um, called Beethoven, Wagner, Verdi, and it also has uh, works by Cherubini and Mascagni on it too. Now, last week, I think it was, no, it was two weeks ago, uh, when we talked about Sandrine Pio and mm-hmm. uh, her recording of the... Um, uh, four last songs of Richard Strauss, among other things. I gave my um, my particle versus wave theory of the soprano voice, and I <laughs> mentioned that um, Sandrine Pio was her voice was more of the particle type of soprano, where it kind of would change its color. Uh, now, Lisa Davidson, uh, this this young uh, Wagnerian soprano, is very much the wave. Version of the soprano voice. This is a voice, this gigantic voice that can just cast this beam of sound to the ends of the universe. Yeah, I'm afraid that I was lost in the undertow on this one, but I'll let you finish your. <laughs> well, well, I sort of was too, and let, first. I, I sort of was too, and then mm. there's a reason for that. Um, now, the thing is, I was kind of excited to hear this because her previous album. She sang the the Strauss four last songs, and they were spectacular. She has the perfect voice for those. It's this big, strong voice, and it's got like a dark sort of kind of quality to part of it. It's not a br- very. It's hard to say. It's 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 not a bright sounding voice, not a bright timbre, but it's a bright voice. But it's got like some darkness in it. And uh, just perfect for those kind of German leader. Now, in this particular recording, she goes for, um, first of all, some lighter works. There are two, um, well, there's an aria from uh, Beethoven's only opera, Fidelio. Now, Beethoven, despite being thought of as a romantic composer, really is still sort of in the classical era. He himself is changing it, but he's not really a romantic composer all the way. He's rooted in the classical. Yeah, he's still rooted in the classical, even though he's kind of like damaging it irreparably (laughs) in a good way in a good way in a way that we enjoy Mm. all right and um when i heard this aria i was like you know this 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 voice was um 
just just huge in this. I've never heard a um a Leonor. She's playing Leonor in this. Um, with a voice this big, I was I was wondering if it was right for this opera. I was kind of it's a it's a huge voice. Well, I got to <laughs> tell know? you, um, you know, I listened to this a couple times during the week, and I have a well where I am now at my desktop mm. station. You know, I have a yeah a small. I have bookshelf speakers, and I still mm-hmm. a pretty powerful amp where I listen here, and. I, I decided to go listen on my, you know, downstairs system, which we listen to together sometimes, you know, rather large speakers and that. And, you know, I like to listen to not not super loud music, but, you know, normally I'll listen, say, maybe like peaks of 85 decibels or something, mm-hmm. nothing ear shattering. But on this recording, I had That's to keep loud. Turn, continually turning down the volume because mm-hmm. that's every piece builds to... Uh, crescendo with the soprano voice that just kept hitting that nerve right between my you know eyes or ear the, my third eye was going blind uh, from that <laughs> sort of yeah she closed uh, your third yeah, eye yeah she closed my third eye because that voice is so <laughs> powerful it just hits that resonance in my you know my whole head starts to vibrate um because yeah. this but, is a but, but nevertheless voices yeah. like this are unique and exciting oh, for really, sure. when given yeah. the right um yeah. uh, repertoire okay now in this in the in this beethoven this is Abscheulicher Wo Eils Duhin is the um, aria. Um, the fury that she conjures up in this aria is formidable. Oh, you don't want to cross this character, this this Leonore. Oh, she's gonna she's gonna win in the end. Okay, this ringing and almost I, I even wrote here almost deafening high notes at the deafening, end. Yeah. Okay, surely capable of breaking glass. Yes. I remember. I think I think I'm missing a couple wine glasses too. I just they're in that cabinet on the side of the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. I was gonna say something more about that. Okay, but the, here's the thing. Next, we have this um, aria, an Italian aria by Beethoven called A Perfido, and it's um, just a concert work uh, written in the um, late um, 18th century. So this is before he uh, he started writing his his big major works. I think his um, early piano sonatas were coming out at this time. So he's still very much in the classical. Um, era here and I felt that um, Davidson's voice was way too heavy for this like I can't imagine her singing this or forget about Mozart it, she's just too big for it okay the, um, the next comes uh, Luigi Cherubini's um, Dal Toy Figli La Madre from the opera Medea this is an aria I hadn't heard before and it's a real oddity it's kind of sounds it doesn't really kind of you know you know, take its, you know, take center stage, really. It, it sort of sounds like something like a work that you'd sing on the way to something else. Uh, it was it was okay. But okay, now here's where things start going awry. We hear uh, an, an aria from Mascagni's opera Cavalleria Rusticana. Uh, this is uh, by Santuzza Voi lo Sapete. Okay, and in this case, she's, um, this character Santuzza is confessing to her friend that she's had an affair with this guy who's also having an affair with someone else. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because it's Italian opera. Let, let, let me tell you something. If you want a safe space, you don't want to go to an opera house. <laughs> all kinds of things are going on on that stage that yeah. just, just we're not even supposed to be talking about now. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, Santuzza is very vulnerable in this in this aria. Okay. And uh, she, she, you, you, you feel, when you hear like a really 
great like practitioner of this role of singing. You're really moved. You feel for her, even though she's kind of like, well, the thing is, we modern people, we we kind of think, oh, so big deal. She's like, you know, she's shagging some guy. <laughs> but uh, this is the 19th century in Sicily, and uh, you don't do that because that could you know, result in your death. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so she's really kind of scared and vulnerable, and um, we we don't hear that in uh, Lisa Davidson's voice. This this voice is big and strong and can't really bend itself into like a kind of vulnerable kind of sensitive um tone and i was a little disappointed by that the next um aria on this is um by verdi pace pace mio dio this is another heroic one and she's okay in this but again i feel the voice is too big for the role in this case is um oh who is she in this i oh uh, this is it from uh forza del destino okay and then after that she does Desdemona's very delicate Ave Maria Piena di Grazia. This is the uh, prayer, the Hail Mary prayer before she's going this to is, confront This is the one Othello I liked be best killed. because this, yeah. this was the one where I felt like it wasn't overwhelming for me. And, and so just in terms of dynamics and sort of leveled performance, uh, when, I, when I finally got to this after being bombarded with that you know, yeah. super powerful voice. I thought there was a little bit of restraint in this one. And then I thought, oh, I'm back on sort of my even ground with listening here. Even though it was not outstanding compared to the other performances, uh, this is where I sort of gained composure again in, in the oh, listening experience. Yeah, I want to say about that. Part of the reason I think you feel that, though, and this this started with uh, noticeably in the Mascagni and then the two Verdi audios, she's recorded further away I think from the mic in these and yeah. I think it's to quieten her sound and I didn't really appreciate that much because um, <laughs> you can't really hear the it could be a mic technique the voice. you're right you're right yeah. there I mean yeah. with an instrument like that you know the engineers probably have to make some you know decision, <laughs> decisions about microphone placement and different things yeah yeah, but again, Desdemona does, knows she's going to her death when she's singing this uh, aria, and I'm not really getting that from this voice. This voice isn't; it it can't project that um, vulnerability. Mm. Uh, she's going to be a great uh, Brunhilde one day um, <laughs> in uh, in uh, you know the um, the Ring operas or a great Isolde in Tristan Isolde. And speaking of which. Um, the this album closes out with uh, Richard Wagner's uh, Wessendonck leader. Two of these were studies for uh, Tristan Isolde. So this could be uh, uh, Davidson's like uh, calling mm. card for that. And she sounds pretty great in these. Okay, she she just, she just sounds very at home in German um, mm. opera, and especially in this these these big kind of like right. Wagner and Strauss were really written for her. And I think I'm looking forward to hearing her in those big opera productions. She's only 34 years old. Uh, sopranos don't usually sing Wagner operas until they're in their 40s because they tend to blow out your voice. And by then, you're kind of at your peak voice and you don't really have much to look forward to in your 50s and 60s anyway. So that's when right. you sing them. Okay, so these were great. It, it ends on a very uh, a high note, to make a little pun there. Uh, the Vessendonck leader are very well played. And these, these are the highlight of the disc, really. You'd want to hear this for the Vessendonck leader. I don't feel like this uh, soprano, though, is suited to the, to the more vulnerable characters in Italian opera, though. She's not a very mm. lyrical singer. She Now, her Italian is fine, though. She does sing the, the language well, pronounces all the words well, sounds kind of, you know, the way an Italian singer would sing, you know, would sound saying, singing the words. But, um, 
Yeah, I'm not getting that vulnerability or that, you know, sensitivity that's required for those operas. So there you go. I think this is a... I, I think if you've never heard the singer before, definitely hear the uh, her previous album um, mm. with the four of her last songs on it. Uh, she also does um, Strauss's song Morgan on that. Anyway, this is a spectacular new talent. She's going to be a great Wagnerian soprano. I can't wait to hear those recordings when they f- she finally does them in the next 10 years or so. Um, th- this, this disc, though, I don't know. I, I I thought it was just okay. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, I'm not a huge opera fan. I can enjoy mm-hmm. a perform, you know, an actual full performance where I can follow the story and a mix of voices, but like a full onslaught of all soprano. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, voice. I was sort of nailed. You know, my head was nailed to my back wall in my room in this, and yeah. I was overwhelmed a bit because the, the voices. I mean what an instrument she has, but it, it yeah. was just a, too much for me uh, overall uh, in the right yeah. context. Sure. I mean, I, I'm everything I read about her is that, you know, she's the talent of a generation and like, yeah. that. but like you say, perhaps it's a choice of the material where yeah, her I, talents are I best feel, yeah. uh, applied, maybe more German than Italian uh, in, uh, in the field, as you say, yeah, but I can't, I'm not, I can't. I'm not a, any, we're near uh, even an experienced listener in this field, so I can't uh, think of an Italian role she can play because even like um, you know strong these really strong Italian like women characters like um, oh what is it what is that um, oh, I'm forgetting this the Puccini opera Tosca mm. um, she has her vulnerable moments too like in Visi d'arte and I don't see that um, Lisa Davidson is going to be able to you know put across the pathos of that aria either okay but i'm anyway strauss wagner bring them all on i'm ready to hear her in those oh jeez all right god she's not my neighbor though because that voice that voice could uh, move walls wow (laughs) what a sound yeah okay well i think we've had enough of a vitamin s vitamin soprano for vitamin uh, soprano that's right actually we've got some more soprano but not in the voice oh uh, we got yeah Ah, is that ah, that's the end of the classical classical segment all right so now it's jazz time yeah adult music listeners and so uh got some really good choices for you this week now last week we focused on european jazz uh, exclusively um and actually i I ordered several of those uh, Snorie Kirk releases. Um, so I ordered them on CD. Actually. Yeah, so did I. And yeah. they're yeah, hard to find to a bit. Mine are coming from Germany. Uh, ah. I could find one in Japan. I think I got Blues Modernism already. And the, uh, the actually, I can't find the Going Up one on CD yet. I yeah, actually, that's not, I'm looking forward to I, that coming out on CD. I bought that Please on high res from Presto. Oh, you did buy it, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, just the download. And from Germany, I've got the um, Beat, which is ah, my favorite yeah, one. Yeah, I like that one, too. That's coming I, I from did, Germany. With that, Yeah, I don't, I don't have the CD yet, but I did hear no, it on Deezer. I'm going to get it in next like week or something. That With that yeah. dirty, dirty sax. Yeah, yeah. That is the... Oh, I love that, yeah. yeah. So I thought um, I'd start this week uh, staying in Europe, and then we'll go to uh, the two U.S. picks. So the first one, hmm. uh, this is actually a Deezer pick of the week. Uh, it came to me before I even was looking for what I wanted to look at, and this is by the Italian uh, saxophonist Stefano Di Battista, and it's called Morricone Stories. So you can That's imagine... Good what it's about. 
Uh, it's got and, a great album cover too, yes. which will kind of tell you a little more what it's about. Nice album. <laughs> Can you describe cover, that? Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Well, what, what it, I can't. It's really tiny, but it's like yeah. the, the four guys in the in the band are all dressed in black, and they're yeah. approaching the camera like four cowboys in a yeah. Morricone movie. In a, uh, and uh, one of them yeah. is holding his. Uh, is that a saxophone? I can't yeah, really see it from sax there. He's got there. Yeah, he's, he's got. He's holding his sax like it's a rifle. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> with the with the mouthpiece out, like at, which would be the yeah, end of yeah. the gun. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of funny. So this is on um, uh, Warner Classics and. So uh, Di Battista is, uh, he's born in 1969, uh, and he's an Italian uh, sax player. He plays uh, soprano and alto, uh, and internationally and uh, with an American jazz scene, he's played with artists like uh, Jimmy Cobb and the late Nat Adderley. So, you know, he's uh, got an international career and uh, known in the American jazz scene, too, and and here he's got an album of uh, purely uh, Morricone compositions. Uh, so Morricone, of course, the great uh, film composer, uh, Italian film composer, who composed the soundtracks for more than 500 films, if you can believe yeah. that. And who they used passed to churn away. them out, huh? Yeah. Back in the 500. day. 500. You couldn't even remember that many, you know. But yeah. um, uh, Morricone passed away last year, in 2020, in July. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, interestingly, here, uh, Batista has chosen uh, a kind of interesting selection among Morricone's works. So, we've got some really well-known uh, th- movie themes. For example, uh, the theme from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, mm-hmm. uh, 1900, uh, The Mission. Uh, so these are really well-known works by him. But we've also got some uh, previously, uh, well, uh, one previously unreleased work, which was gifted to him by Morricone called Flora. Ah, and I was wondering a, why that didn't have a like, yeah, description on it. Yeah, this is a really lovely melody. I, I am surprised that it was never used for anything. Maybe it was just, you know, something he composed and put up on the side. And then we've got, um, you know, some other... Uh, lesser-known melodies. I'm sure Batista chose them, you know, based on their um, melodic work. Uh, so, you know, we've got, like, uh, the theme from Fear Over the City. Uh, we've also got uh, The Great Silence, uh, Sunday Woman, uh, The Mission, and then he saves, of course, the iconic uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly yeah. for the very end. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, <laughs> of course, everybody knows, knows that. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's in contrast to the rest of the pieces I felt because, um, well, to begin with, uh, De Batista actually, you know, on saxophone, not every saxophonist has a very good soprano sax tone. You know, mm. some people play soprano sax; it sounds like a car horn. <laughs> it's really it can be a very <laughs> ugly instrument yeah. but uh here you know his uh soprano sax actually is a very uh nice tone and you know so he can use that to an effect uh melodically and what i would say about uh the way he plays these uh so of course as a film composer you need a particular skill in writing an immediate melody that matches a scene and sticks in the in the mind which is you know part of Morricone's genius and paying respect to that uh, Di Battista uh, states the melodies with a lot of respect I felt 
Uh, he always clearly plays the melody so that the listener will recognize, you know, the theme. And also before he embellishes upon it, you know, he gives due respect to the composition that Morricone made before he goes into his uh, improvisations. Um, that said, uh, he does take some very interesting, adventurous, modern solos. Uh, here, the Vurushka and uh, Sunday Woman are quite adventurous in where he jumps onto uh, in his uh, improvisational meanderings. And then... I'll have to all, hear those again. Yeah, they're really nice. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. And then uh, also uh, Deborah's theme from Once mm. Upon a Time in America is a very tender ballad playing, and he plays this on alto. Uh, that's great. And then uh, there's a nice effect on From Fear Over the City. He, uh, I don't know if it's him, but there's a whistling added to it um, yeah, yeah. from the original theme, which sort of creates the mood uh, here. And so I thought that overall on the whole album, he balances, you know, treating the melody with respect so that when you know, the average listener or anyone who listens to us, ah, you know, that's that great melody. And then he, he carefully states that before he goes on to his uh, sort of development in improvisation, which he doesn't hold back on and, and shows his jazz chops really well. And then finally, when we get to the end, you know, you can't really stay. The good, the bad and the ugly is not a great, uh, you know, beautiful melody. It's just iconic. And yeah. so what he does is have a lot of fun with here and it becomes something really cool. So he plays this um, doo -dee -doo -dee -da -doo -da -doo yeah. on soprano and he turns it into a really sort of Coltrane inspired kind of uh you can imagine this being on my favorite things as a, you know the the last track and what he does here in his improvisation after playing the melody on soprano is uh it's it's kind of a, a coltrane inspired like sheets of sound type of improvisation however he makes it a lot more bluesy than like you know, a typical Coltrane solo would be. So I started to think, you know, this is like sheets of sound, but really bluesy. So I thought, what do you call a bluesy, a blue sheet of sound? Is it a musical tarp? <laughs> but that sounds very unattractive. I, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't like, I think the sheets of sound description is very unattractive too. What, what well, that general, is, is yeah. when he, what they mean by that is when, when Coltrane, he's not playing individual notes. He's no, just no, no, going yeah, like, sorry. You've got a linear, you know, the, a linear yeah, instrument, it's, it's like this, a linear yeah, instrument it, who's able to delineate the harmonic patterns. Uh, so yeah. of course, you know, this is a this is a. Coltrane, I wish they come up with a different way to describe the, it. Yeah, though, it's, it's, it's a sound sort of though. Work out, of, but I just in my mind yeah. when I put this sort of nomenclature to it, I thought, oh, blues. You know, is it a musical tarp? tarp? Yeah, it's a musical but, tarp. Know, it's much more cool than that. Uh, so yeah, he has a lot of fun with this and, uh, you know, the, the solo is, is great and it's out there. And so it's really cool. So yeah, yeah. if you know Morricone's music, I think, you know, if you're a mu uh, movie lover or, uh, just these compositions are really great. And, uh, he shows his jazz chops here really well. And, uh, I think, you know, as a soprano player, he has a very attractive, uh, tone too. And so it's a fun album and, uh, yeah, well worth a listen 
Uh, also, uh, let's see, uh, Di Batista's on sax. We've got Andre uh, Cecciarelli on drums, uh, Frederic oh. Nardin on piano, and Danielle Sorrentino on bass. So that's oh. his working group here. Sounds uh, like a bunch of Italians. It sounds like a bunch of Italians <laughs> and playing nice jazz. Uh, well worth a listen, and it's a great concept album. And uh, yeah, it's the, a great I, sounding album too. Oh, yeah, it's um, great sounding. Yeah, the, each of the instruments is very clearly like separated, sort of in the mm-hmm. uh, in the whole mix. I guess or, or it, it might just be the way they play. Like they just sort of like have this space. There's a lot of space. I, I felt yeah. like on this recording. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed just how clean like it all was. You know, the playing and the recording itself. Um, I, I didn't know most of these themes to be honest. Yeah, I, there's a lot I of them I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I knew. Um, yeah. I knew uh, Once a time, Upon a Time in America. I knew The Great I knew, Silence. I knew The Mission. Well, I didn't know that theme because I don't know that movie as well. Oh, okay. I, I've seen it before, but yeah. I know. And, uh, yeah, the, the Great Silence I knew. And, um, and of course, uh, The Flora, this newcomer, is a really lovely melody. Um, yeah, I'm glad nice. that uh, he got that out there. Uh, yeah, Morricone, yeah. a great composer. And so this is a fun album. And uh, I hope it gets uh, Di Battista some more international exposure uh, great concept yeah I recommend it I liked it myself yeah Yeah, it's a fun one All right, and um, sticking with sax uh, moving on another really interesting album uh, sax and piano and this is uh, called Magic Dance the music of Kenny Barron uh, the great uh, pianist and this is on a record label called Wailing City Sound uh, really? Label, yeah. <laughs> and this is by the uh, saxophonist, American saxophonist, Greg Abate, who I assume is of Italian lineage. With that Boy, we're name. doing a lot of Italians on this show. Boy. Yeah, well, he's an American. Um, <laughs> All right. Anyway, this is a two CD set. And so about Abate, uh, he was born in uh, 1947 in Massachusetts. It's a very uh, extensive jazz career he played with the Artie Shaw Orchestra and uh, also Phil Phil Woods who was one of his mentors you'll hear that clearly in his alto playing uh, inspired by the great Phil Woods Uh, he also has played with uh, Kenny Barron the composer and pianist on this album who has you know played with uh, so many people over the years as a sideman but he is a great jazz composer of original compositions which this album is you know celebrating uh yeah, it also, seems that way yeah. gonna, i think we're gonna we're gonna start hearing these uh the same way we hear like say monks um yeah, yeah. you know compositions you know, played by is, a lot of this is a area in jazz where you know whenever a jazz musician gets established after playing the you know, jazz standards and American songbook and other people's compositions, then they make their own compositions. And, uh, you know, more recently, there's some groups that, uh, uh, for example, uh, recently, not so recently, but uh, maybe going back from the early 2000s on, there was a group called the New Composers Octet, which uh, I saw them in Osaka uh, with Freddie Hubbard. And they were sort of, uh, you know, performing the... Uh, compositions of say Freddie Hubbard who wrote so many great jazz songs and then their own compositions so you know they were young composers but also basing their new ideas on these compositions of jazz greats that had made these great new songs but other people afterwards hadn't really picked up and we've seen uh, sort of things like that with um, 
the Brian Lynch and uh, Woody Shaw uh, recordings in a Latin style or something like that. So, you know, there's a lot of great uh, jazz players that compose good tunes, but haven't been recorded enough by other musicians. So uh, this is a nice sort of treatment of that in all these great songs that Kenny Barron wrote over the years and someone taking the time uh, to go back and play these. Um, so Kenny Barron himself, who's on this recording uh, of his own compositions, born in 1943 in Philadelphia, and he's played with everyone from Dizzy Gillespie, James Moody, Freddie Hubbard, uh, Brooker Irvin, Youssef Latif, and then uh, there's a series of recordings uh, with uh, Stan Getz, just Stan Getz and um, Kenny Barron that are really wonderful. Uh, I think it's called, uh, I'm trying to think of the name, People Time, something like that. Uh, Can't help you there. really wonderful. Uh, so this album is recorded at uh, Van, the great uh, Van Gelder Studios, uh, the famous uh, recording engineer, Rudy Van Gelder. And we've got uh, Kenny Barron on piano, Desron Douglas on bass. Uh, Did Van Gelder en- engineer the album? No, no, no. He's uh, he's, de- he's he's dead. dead now, yeah, but his studio yeah, okay. is still there. And okay. uh, Jonathan Blake on drums. And so um, Abate has made new arrangements of Baron's original compositions, but uh, he's taken a lot of liberties and you know arranged and m- more than just arranging, but changed the key, written new intros, uh, changed. Uh, chord progressions on the solo sections for these songs to reimagine them. But Baron was on board with all of these developments to sort of, you know, use his tunes as a, you know, a focus, but also a building block for some new project. And so in most of Baron's works, we've got a mix of sort of uh, post-bop tunes with also a lot of modal jazz here. Now, Hmm. uh, what's really interesting about this is that uh, rather than calling other players, Abate um, decided to uh, overdub himself on multiple instruments. So uh, he creates saxophone sections and, you know, multiple layers on these. So there's up to, on some tunes, two altos, two tenors, and Barry sax. Uh, creating sort of like a big band soli section on hmm. you know some of these things, and he's playing all of the parts of all these horns. Uh, if you look at the recording, check out the tune uh, "Voyage." Uh, it's got like a whole big band sax sectional uh, with him overdubbing all of the parts, and then he also for each tune he thought very carefully. Um, when he chose a solo instrument, you know, what's going to fit the mood and character of the piece. And so he's uh, not only chose uh, from saxophone, but he's got uh, flute and soprano. So uh, there's a great tune uh, here, uh, Water Lily. Uh, It's kind of a modal jazz tune. And he plays some beautiful flute on this. Uh, It's got a sort of exotic character to it. And then right after that is... uh, a tune called Sonia Braga, and he switches uh-huh. to soprano sax on that. And then uh, there's sort of a, a Bud Powell tribute. Uh, it's a very beboppy t- type of tune uh, called Bud Light. And uh, <laughs> kind of sounds like Bud Light. Not, you know? <laughs> yeah, Bud Light, but it's Bud Light. It's Bud Light. And K. he plays a really <laughs> fiery alto with, you know, sort of a Phil Woods uh, sort of. Uh, inspired playing on it. So he's very versatile playing, you know, all the saxes and flute and paying a tribute 
to uh, Baron and contributing a lot of arranging over two full CDs. So it's a, it's a large collection of music, but uh, yeah, it takes you um, on a you know a sort of journey, and you see you know the variety and expanse of Baron's original compositions treated very well and given you know special arrangements here. So I thought it was a really um, uh, excellent recording by a you know a sort of a journeyman sax player who hasn't gotten a lot of recognition but this is a you know sort of labor of love project and i think it should be heard if you if you're a fan of jazz saxophone uh you know this the and playing jazz on here is flute excellent. as i am yeah, yeah. Flat, flute too is really nice I, set. Yeah. I wish there was more jazz flute i don't know oh yeah uh, yeah about this uh th this could very well be a landmark album in jazz if it really takes um because Kenny, it could establish Kenny Barron as a composer that that right. um, people are going, or you know, uh, mm -hmm. that people are going to start covering in in the same way. Let's say, like you, you know, you do a monk song or, or things like that. You yeah. know, um, it would be great if like jazz were, could continue with that. For me, um, Kenny Barron, he's in his seventies now, isn't he? Well, it's nineteen forty-three. He's been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Late seventies. Yeah. So. Yeah. So he's he's been around, and I've only really discovered him back in 2015 when I started listening to like newer jazz. I had somehow missed him in because um, you because know, I had heard jazz in college and things. I you know I heard Char I knew Charles Lloyd back then and things like that. But Kenny Barron was is relatively new to me, and now I it's nice because I'm starting to think of him because of this album as a composer. I know some of these these right. um these compositions from uh, his albums, his more recent albums, Concentric Circles came out a right. few years ago. Um, so I'm just thinking they, they this could uh, start something new. I think it's, um, it, it, it could wind up being, oh, dare I say, an important album. Yeah, yeah. God, and, uh, God knows we don't have many of those anymore. We need, yeah, we need more. Yeah. I hope so. I hope it gets some exposure. I hope so too. Um, it is yeah. nice. I liked it a lot. I liked all the, uh, the the whole, <laughs> yeah, the whole saxophone orchestra approach was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hey, your description of the, um, of uh, you know, voyage kind of reminded me of because you know you have to record these uh, all these saxophone lines, and I just think of like, you know, Enya the uh, the the new age kind of yeah yeah recording. I just kind of imagine what her producer must be like okay now sing that line 800 800 times you know <laughs> you just have this just this this just endless like uh hall of mirrors of enya yeah. you know when kinda, once would be more than enough yeah. for me but well know. i yeah i liked her i liked the first record she did not which one was that a watermark and then I'm they all sure. kind of were the same as that afterwards yeah. anyway the, i really like this I type of thing when, when yeah. we get a a player like this, uh, Greg Abate, uh, you know, a guy who's yeah. got a, you know, his resume is, is uh, really great, but, you know, he hasn't gotten the recognition uh, he probably he deserves. And then he throws mm. his heart into something like this um, to another musician. And then, uh, yeah, the playing on it is outstanding. And, uh, well, let's see get if some it becomes, recognition for this. Yeah. If it becomes a landmark, remember you heard about it first on the Adult Music Podcast. Adult Music Podcast, right? Yeah. Predicting the future of music. Yeah. Right. So yeah, give this one a listen. You'll you'll definitely like yeah. it. There's a lot of variety and uh, lots of sax and flute here. And yeah. so this is Greg Abate. We're going to move on to the final recording for this week. Another Greg, but not on saxophone. This is uh, guitar, and this is Greg Scaff 
on his new release called Polaris. And this mm. is on Smoke Sessions Records. And uh, Scaff himself is from Kansas. And I don't know his age. He looks to be probably in his 50s. Um, but uh, his sort of uh, main uh, venue of playing has been with organ trios. Uh, he's played with Mike Ledon, one of my favorite uh, Oh, I like him players. too. Yeah. I just and, like the Hammond organ in general. Ah, uh, Hammond organ in general. And yeah. uh, he's also played with uh, the great sax player Stanley Turrentine, who plays a lot with uh, organ uh, organists. And he's played with Freddie Hubbard and uh, Oren Evans. Uh, so he, he's uh, done most of his recording with uh, an, an organ. But uh, so that makes this album sort of unique for him. It's his first guitar trio album. And so if you're familiar with the jazz format, you'll think uh, when you have guitar and organ, you have two instruments capable of playing a, a harmony or, or accompanying. And if you have an organ, you know, the organ can also take over the bass and, you know, can also that, play. That's my favorite element of the, oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the guys who are really good at the funky foot metal bass. bass kind yeah. Of, yeah. yeah the foot metal bass. It's got a different sound than a regular bass. Yeah. It's kind of cool. But so when you're when you're playing in a guitar with an organ, the you know the organ can also take over the harmonic uh, harmony accompaniment. Uh, however, you know if you don't have that organ and you're just on guitar with a bass, you're left with the the chord playing as well as you know most of the solo lead sort of play. And so this is sort of uh, the first recording of him in this uh, format and land as sort of a landmark to start something like that he's playing yeah. with the great ron carter yeah on bass. that's what stood out for me yeah, on this record who is the most recorded bass player in you know jazz recording history um and still uh, going strong at his um yeah in his 80s um, in his 80s amazing yeah. and so what makes this interesting yeah. too so this is ron carter on bass and on drums is uh albert uh, Heath, I think his nickname is Tootie, Albert Tootie Heath, who is the mm -hmm. brother of Jimmy Heath, the uh, yeah, we, great uh, sax player. We heard, we heard a record from him last year, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. And so um, here, the, the what makes this also interesting is that uh, Carter and Heath had not recorded together for 30 years. Oh, wow. And before that, they hadn't recorded f since 1960. So... Uh, apparently, Scaff was able to get uh, Carter to agree to the record on this session, and then Heath agreed to record on it because Carter had agreed because he wanted to play with Carter okay. again. But this is sort of um, also a product of the uh, you know Corona situation. So they had you know arranged to record this, but it was getting difficult to get recording time and because of uh, virus restrictions and whatnot. So they had no uh, rehearsal. Uh, sessions for this album they had just two three hour recording sessions booked so they had basically six hours to make this album um so because of that uh reading a few articles from with interviews with scaff on how this was done uh you know he what he decided we have a limited amount of time so he made the recording mainly based on jazz standards with just two of his original uh, compositions and he kept the arrangements 
to a bare minimum. And he just wanted to have uh, Ron Carter and uh, Albert Heath do their thing. You know, yeah. so like, here's, and, the, and Ron, yeah, here's yeah. a sketch, do your thing, and the rest we'll, you know, we'll just figure it out. Uh, yeah, Ron here. Carter absolutely does his thing yeah. on this album. Yeah. The imagination at, yeah. of this 80 year old man, like, you know, yeah. obviously one of the giants of, um, you know, jazz bass. Um, but the imagination he puts into his bass lines on this album is just really astounding. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, it, it, you know, he does riveting. this thing, he's given a, a, just a sort of sparse sketch of things to do. And then, um, Based on that, I thought Skeff does a really nice um, job here. If he's not normally doing this format where he's responsible for um, filling out the chords, he yeah, he, he took a back seat quite, pretty often on his own album. I thought yeah, that was kind he of balances odd, but, the the accompanying mm. and soloing really well. Um, if he's usually used to playing with an organ trio, um, I thought uh, here. Uh, there's one uh, track here called Little Waltz, which is no uh, drums, just a duet with Carter. Uh, and then um, the other uh, track that sort of shows the interplay in a, you know, these guys hadn't played before together. And so they're just in this limited time. Uh, yesterday's sort of a jazz standard. He comes into uh, a great intro on the guitar and then, this comes into a, a really fine melodic Ron Carter solo and Skeff's shifts to the rhythmic backing mode uh, sort of seamlessly. And I thought that was really nice. And then uh, for, you know, it's a, not, I guess it's a jazz standard, but it's a Ellington composition. The uh, Lady of the Lavender Mist uh, mm. is one of a really Ellington's beautiful compositions and uh, that's done really well here so you know when you know the background of it also that you know these are uh, musicians just getting together with a limited schedule and uh, Scaff organizing this and hoping just to play off the strengths of these two uh, you know jazz legends and himself you know just sort of slotting in and even though he's the leader here he, he as you say he you know, pays deference to Ron Carter's expertise and uh, sort of interweaves his uh, concept with that. I thought it's a sublime and uh, mature, uh, you know, recording. Uh, and he has that very, he, he doesn't have a huge guitar sound. It's, uh, it's sort of a focused uh, sound uh, in the school of, you know, uh, West Montgomery and that sort of older style of jazz. But uh, yeah, and he plays with a lot of restraint, but uh, he seems to be equally adept at melodic lines and uh, harmonic sort of backing playing. And yeah, it's a nice album. Uh, and uh, I think having him on Smoke Sessions is, uh, you know, it's a nice addition to their other uh, guitarists. Like uh, they've got Peter Bernstein, you know, as a sort of bigger sound and a little different concept um, than Scaff. But I think Scaff is an excellent uh, guitarist, and this album was really enjoyable for me. Yeah, for me too. I I, I really enjoyed Ron Carter's playing throughout, though. That was he was yeah, really just yeah. grabbing my ear all the way through, just magnetic, and you know, showing you know. A fair, he's a fairly athletic bass player, even into his eighties. It's, yeah. it's pretty. It was pretty amazing to hear. Uh, I was pretty floored by that. Uh, so yeah, I liked this album all the way through. I kind of, I, I like uh, jazz guitar a lot. I like that he plays a lot of chords. But again, he did a lot of accompanying on this album, and I felt like, uh, I, to me, it felt like more like a Ron Carter album. <laughs> 
<laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really nice. Yeah, it's amazing it. that, you know, they could just uh, you know, say, look, we're going to do these tunes and, uh, you know, with just six hours and never having, you know, played together before coming and have performances like this that, you know, they, the communication is at such a high level. You know, it shows the experience and professionalism of them as a group, and and all, you know, not just to play proficiency proficiently enough, but to, you know, to, you can sense that they're really communicating well, and their sort of uh, intuition is already matched. There's there's no sort of uncomfortableness or sort of misdirections here. They're in tune with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, on all this material and the sort of sketchiness of the arrangements is filled up with you know the musicianship and character of you know especially as you say Ron Carter he can just you know mm. fill in that role quite Good easily yeah. but, yeah, but yet Scaff you know he has enough character to you know set the mood in all of these pieces so yeah it's a very nice recording and uh, I'm glad that you know Musicians like this have been able to overcome the restrictions and difficulties in, you know, this corona time and still put out, you know, adventurous recordings like this. So. And I'm glad that we were able to uh, overcome the restrictions and uh, bring this podcast to everybody. What else is better to do? Yeah. Well, there's nothing. I guess there's nothing else to do. It's a great time. You know, it, I have to say, in whatever your opinions of the craziness of this uh more than a year of yeah, recent more than history. Uh, if you are a music lover, there's been no better time to. I know it's. Uh, I've. I yeah. have these amazing albums from the last two years. It's lock been a really good two years musically. Yeah, lock yourself exp- in a room and just listen to music. It's going to be great. The new music and uh, listen to the old music. And uh, stay away from other people because they're just going to annoy you anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, not, not to mention get you sick. Get you so. sick, exactly. Yeah. So stay home and listen. You to have an, ex- you have an music, excuse now. Music old <laughs> to stay and away. new. You know, uh, music is always your best friend, and mm. uh, it stays with you for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what the good thing about it is. So. Yeah. Um, what was I? What was I thinking today? I was thinking I should, if I would, if I were to start my own like separate podcast and go through like one album per podcast of of every CD I have, I would have something to do until the day I die. How it's about an interesting that? idea. Yeah. <laughs> Unless somebody, well, it still would be the day you die, but someone might come and kill you first if you did that. Well, I, th- there would still be till the day I die. Till yeah. still be till the day I die. Yeah. Just yeah. make sure you leave all those CDs to me when you do die, so well, I can okay. t- carry on yeah. for you. you know? <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, you're about the only one who would want them, so uh, they're yours, actually. So uh, you heard it here. That's my uh, my verbal will. Just that, okay. Sure. Yes. This is Mike's. Final will and testament. The CD yeah, is good it, to if, me. If, if he if he mur- if Russ murders me though, then the the deal's off. Uh, okay, that's an exception <laughs> yeah, cause a, in there. Drat. A, that's an exception cause. You, your wife can't murder me either. No, she won't do that. <laughs> Who knows what she's doing now? Where we're spending time together. It's yeah, anyway, a soul if, release from me, I guess. Yeah. Okay. If 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 my murder she doesn't is have to listen to you to in any music. way, the deal's Whenever off. we're doing this, she doesn't have to listen to my music either. So she probably sees it as a. She Plus, likes that. You know. yeah, I okay. think she needs a break. Yeah, you know. So between okay. my listening and playing music, yeah, everyone needs a break. So, 
All right. Yeah. So anyway, we looks like uh, this has been a very long podcast. It's been we a, long a lot to say. A, good, a lot yeah. of good music to talk about here. That's right. Yeah, so if you survive, there's a lot to say about it. Basically, is what, a lot what it came say. down to. Yeah. So if you made it to the end here, we thank you for listening. And uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few moments to either follow or subscribe, whatever your service says to our podcast, so you get the new episodes. And it'll also help us out in the listings so that other people can discover us. If you have a few more seconds, please give us a rating with stars or leave a review of our podcast uh, on your particular platform. That will also help us out. If you have any comments, requests, or communications, or just want to let us know who you are, please get in touch with us at our email. That's adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, know about you, or if you have any requests or comments, uh, we're interested to hear your ideas and comments or opinions and be happy to reply to you so thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back again next week with episode 10 i think we've oh, got a backlog a of milestone yes yeah, so yeah. we've got a lot of things in the hopper to uh bust out so yeah we got some yeah. good stuff coming lots of good things coming up so thanks for listening to this ninth episode of adult music music for the mature mind and thank we'll you be, everybody yeah thank mm. you very much and we'll be back again next week with episode 10 so stay tuned